Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanna and they them pronouns, the designated hype person here at MCP. And I am so, 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 so excited because we have guests from Learning for Justice. So we have Skyla, who's a middle school teacher in Atlanta, Georgia, and a Learning for Justice trainer fellow, as well as Jackie, she, her pronouns, who is the professional learning facilitator with Learning for Justice, and Deisha, who's an elementary school teacher and a, a trainer fellow as well. So welcome, Deisha, Skyla, and Jackie. So excited for you all to be here. Um, So before we get started, thank you for saying yes to the podcast to share your expertise and your experiences. What is bringing you joy currently? Abbott Elementary is back. It's like my favorite show. And I'm not going to lie, I've been trying to figure out some time today between meetings to watch it, and I have not. So that's like I'm looking for be like a thing to look forward to this evening is to watch the the new season. Yeah, so you got to have something to look forward to every day, right? And Abbott Elementary is definitely the show to watch. So thank you for reminding me that I have to catch up. <laughs> what about you, Skylar or Deisha? I know for me right now, I have a soul playlist. I have a very old soul, so I'm very um, 70s soul, 80s soul heavy right now. And that is just bringing me a little bit of joy, especially in the mornings as I'm trying to get to work. Um, so it's been, it's been nice to rediscover some old playlists. So I'd say that's where, where my joy is right now. Uh, I feel like music always brings joy to a lot of people and it, and it's so, it's so nice to have so many different options too. Right. Um, Skyla, what about you? Um, for me, it's probably that tomorrow's Friday. Today's like, you know, Friday Eve, makes me feel like there's something to look forward to. And I like got coffee this morning. I didn't make it at home. I like went and bought coffee and that always brings me joy. Yes, I love that. It is almost Friday, which is always exciting. I feel like this week was like the longest week for me. (laughs) So uh, thank you all for sharing what is bringing you joy currently. So let's go ahead and get started. Tell us more about who you are and how you started your education journey. And we'll start with you, Deisha, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, that's Awesome. Um, so essentially, uh, my name is Deja Smith. I am a social studies teacher in New Jersey. I am an elementary fifth grade teacher at a middle school. So I'm in a bit of a unique situation right now. Um, but I started my journey actually teaching preschool and running a summer camp. So I was in a really weird spot where I was seeing older kids, but only in a fun capacity. Uh, the education part was not there. And then when I was teaching, it was very much learning color, shapes, and numbers. Um, but I think what really got me on my education journey that I'm on now is some of the things that I was able to do with the the students at that age, to introduce them to different cultures and people around the world um, that, you know, they were able to understand concepts of certain kids their age not having access 
to certain things that they may and vice versa, certain things that they don't have. And I was so amazed and so empowered at how preschoolers were able to get it. Um, and I began to love hanging out with the older kids at my summer camp that it led me to the path that I'm in now, which is just teaching social studies and in that sweet spot of the middle grades from like fourth grade to like seven. I haven't gone higher yet. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where that calls. But, um, you know, that's kind of where it started and, and where I am journeying now. Yeah, I feel like we, we can all stop at seventh grade. Seventh grade is the best. <laughs> After that, whole different type of drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, exactly. We have like the, the babies and then the big babies. That's kind of how I separate them. And so thank you, Deja, for, for sharing a little bit about you. Skyla, what about you? So right now I'm a middle school teacher. Seventh grade is the highest I've gotten. But I've done everything from third grade to seventh, special education, general education, um, all the subjects in between. But right now I'm on English language arts and I kind of like fell into that role here. But I think for me, when I was in college and like choosing a major and figuring it all out, I wanted to be able to influence students and like in my mind, I said influence kids at that point, because I know for me. I needed like role models and support like outside my family structure. And for me, school was that place. Um, So I toyed with social work for a little bit and like all these other kind of helping professions. But I landed on education because I feel like it can be proactive, where sometimes social work and all of those other systems are very reactive. Um, So it can be proactive and it can like show students kind of like what Deja was saying, that there's other things out there to explore and look into and think about. And when you see them kind of have that, oh, or like, aha moment, I was like, yes, this is why. So I'm Jackie. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm a learning professional learning facilitator with Learning for Justice. And really, my background in education started like super young. I feel like as corny as it might sound, it was like, I just like had always wanted to be a teacher. I was like that kid who like was helping the teacher with everything. I was playing school at home with my friends, you know, like all those things. Um, you know, loved that double-sided pen that had like red on one end and blue on the other. I remember those silver pens. Um, but I really just kind of like grew up really knowing that that's what I wanted to do. But I think, um, I didn't really know what that meant, I don't think, until I got to college and started thinking about the general impact that it would have. And really this, like, I'm struggling to find the word, but it's, like, really just such an important profession, knowing that you are shaping the youth um, and really the future of this country. And so my background is in social studies, and it's in secondary ed with those big babies. Uh, They're my, you know, my favorite. They really were able to engage in really great conversations and and really figuring out how to have those difficult conversations with them. Because, you know, like Deisha said, preschoolers know about inequity and injustice. Like by the time they get to high school, they are very aware and really living it and want to talk about it. And so it was when I really stepped into the classroom. I taught at a high school in New Jersey um, as well. And those first two years, I was having these conversations and didn't really know like 
what I was doing, like a first year teacher in the classroom, like trying to navigate all of the school things and talking about real world issues with students. And so when I was thinking about my graduate degree, I was like, what do I really, what do I want to do? And I wanted something in kind of like the human rights, civil rights space. And there was a program uh, for Holocaust and genocide studies. And that's eventually kind of the path that I went on. And through there, I, I really learned that education can happen and does happen in a lot of spaces outside of a traditional K-12 classroom. So I started getting connected with organizations like Facing History and Ourselves and started adjuncting for the university um, to help other educators teach about the Holocaust and broader just like ways to embed social justice in their classroom. And it's where I got connected to then teaching tolerance and really just like fortunately when I was thinking about stepping outside the classroom and into um, a different education space, there happened to be an opening. And so I've been here for a little over two years and just like really grateful to have found, um, to have found this space and really be immersed in social justice education specifically and, and really reaching our educators nationwide with a big focus on our Southern states. So Ooh, big focus on the Southern states. Let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about it. Um, so this episode is really about learning for justice because it is, it is a resource that I implemented and used a lot when I was back in the classroom. And this is something that I always, always try and have conversations with educators as well. Like, hey, this is something that's already provided, something that's already curated for you. Like here are all the things that you can put in front of our, or in front of our students, right? And so for our listeners who have no idea what Learning for Justice is about, um, can you tell us a little bit of just Learning for Justice, what it stands for? And I know that before it was known as Teaching Tolerance, um, and I was actually part of the advisory board when they had the teacher advisory board because I just utilized the resources so much. And then I applied for it and I just like loved it. And I was connected to so many dope human beings who are doing the same work. Um, and so, you know, tell us more about learning for justice and then how can educators and school leaders utilize the resources and learning opportunities by learning for justice? Yeah. Well, thank you also for being part of then TTAB. Um, you know, Skyla and Deisha are here because it sort of have, has morphed when we changed to learning for justice um, we wanted to keep staying connected with educators. So we feel like it's so important to get that like real time feedback about what's happening on the ground, right? We can make all of these resources and things, but we need to know how they're landing in the schools and the communities that we are hoping to create this systemic change within. Um, and so, you know, just kind of letting the audience know that's, that's the role really of, of Skyla and Deisha and our trainer fellows and our trainer fellowship now. Um, is being able to stay connected to um, to both classroom teachers, administrators, and we do have some um, other community leaders as part of this fellowship too, as a way to keep kind of that feedback loop going um, and help facilitate some of our other professional development work. So a little bit of an aside, but I think important to uh, to name that here. What is Learning for Justice? Who is Learning for Justice? Uh, we are a project of the Southern Poverty Law Center. We really seek to uphold their mission specifically around racial justice in the South, as mentioned, and beyond nationwide. We work in partnership with communities to dismantle white supremacy, to strengthen intersectional movements, and really advance the human rights of all people. 
And we really support this mission with focusing our work primarily with students, but also with educators, caregivers, and uh, broader community members in four main areas. We do a lot of work around culture and climate, do a lot of work around curriculum and instruction, around leadership, both student leadership, teacher leadership, and community leadership, um, and then also family and community engagement. And so really getting educators to think about how they can be more intentional about embedding social justice education in their practice. Like, what is social justice education? And how can we use it to really kind of root out hate um, and create a more uh, just and, and equitable world? I know for me, there was kind of this aha moment I had mentioned. It's a little bit easier when you're just introducing people, children, to the world uh, rather than to the the words like intersectionality and injustice and equity, the things that once you learn about the world start to, you know, pop up. And I think that a lot of people I hear have the same story of coming to learn for learning for justice where they're just kind of like, man, I wish something like this existed. Or what if I just Googled and then magically one day they happen upon the website or someone suggests it and then you realize Everything you've ever wondered, everything you've ever needed in terms of how can I get this to my kids or what resource can I add to this or I have no idea where to start. I just know what I want to do all of a sudden is available to you. Um, And I think that um, that's what learning for justice has been for me. It's just it has been a grounding to things that were already on my heart and that were already being seen in the community of how can I consistent, consistently and effectively bring this to my classroom, you know. Um, And I think that's what I love most about them, that they the things that they have said that they are going to do and been intentional about doing, no matter where you go on the site, no matter who you speak to for these resources, they're very much focused around the classroom and the community and equipping us with those tools. Yeah, for me, I would say the same. I think I got introduced to Learning for Justice through resources. Like I needed a resource for something and I had known about teaching tolerance through my teacher prep program um, as a suggested social studies content resource. And so that was my like intro. But then I signed up for the newsletter or the magazine, something in there. And I began like reading educator stories as long as well as like their discussions around the educational system and like how we're functioning Um, as like the United States or as public education around the country. And that got me more intrigued because I think to provide resources is one thing, but to provide resources and acknowledge the system they need to be used in is something that Learning for Justice does really well. Um, And then I relocated to the South. So I'm in Georgia right now. And I think the on the deepest level, what Learning for Justice has provided for me now is solidarity and community with other people who are like-minded trying to further social justice education in spaces that is actively trying to restrict um, that same movement. And so I think like as an educator, you can be involved at like various spectrums, whether it be a resource or be completely entrenched in like the fellowship and the um, Zooms and OEs that go on like the open enrollments. But I think that's the beauty of it is like there's a spectrum and you can take what you need from that spectrum. Yeah. And I also just wanted to add to like, as an adult, these resources were super helpful for me. I just realized like, I, 
I have to learn and unlearn so much, right? And as I was going through these resources, I know that, you know, I was trying to to provide like lessons and curriculum that were very much centered around our kids. Um, I, you know, and, and the histories. And I was just flabbergasted at the fact that like, or maybe not so shocking that I didn't learn any of that when I was in school. Um, and I grew up in South Georgia. So it makes sense, right? Like it makes a lot of sense. And so I think for me, it was a wake up call when I was going through teaching tolerance um, and learning for justice resources that I'm like, oh, I have so much more to learn as an adult. And this is so much more accessible because I don't have to read a 150 page something on a topic. I could just get these resources, uh, acknowledge, you know, and, and do my research and then create a lesson out of it and have that like really fruitful conversations with students, with stakeholders, honestly. So thank you all for sharing that. And, you know, we've talked about social justice. Uh, what What is social justice, y'all? And and you have you also have social justice standards, which are phenomenal. Um, so tell us more a little bit about that. Maybe provide, you know, kind of a definition for what is social justice. And then what are the social justice standards and how, how did that come about? So um, essentially, the social justice standards were created and are a tool to kind of ground those four areas that in our mission, we talk about culture and climate, curriculum and instruction, leadership, and all the different ways that looks, and then family and engagement, community engagement, and to pretty much like you said, give that inventory check. What do we look like currently? What does our organization, our hallways, our classrooms, who do they represent? Who do they uplift? whose voices are absent. Um, and then to not only from that lens, see what we need to do to fill in those gaps, but also if we want to actively have students join in, in a social justice effort, whether that be from their own perspective, looking at themselves, their own identity, or looking at someone else's reality, which would, you know, kind of gets into the, the the diversity part and realistically into action, which would be justice, uh, justice and action, which is a part of the standards. But um, I kind of worked my way through those letters. But, um, you know, realistically, it, it really does. It shows you and, and it gives you a base as teachers. We're used to objectives. We're used to standards. So it gives you clear cut goals and instructions on it's not just, oh, let's show up to the march. Let's figure out what to put on a sign. Let's say we disagree with this or we want more of that. How can we get more eyes open? How can we get more voices to give an opinion on that? How can we work that into our curriculum? How can we connect that to math and social studies and science? So uh, the social justice standards really work to do all those things in so many different ways, You know, whether that's a micro level of just a classroom or on a larger scale of how can we bring this to a community to make sure our community leaders are looking at how to serve us best through this lens to how we can hold those people accountable, you know, and, and all the steps in between there. So um, it, it really does give that educational piece to, again, something that many people try and do and organize outside of the education world. When you bring it into the classroom and you are required to meet standards and connect curriculum and, and have those uh, cross-curricular connections, the standards allow you to do that in a very teacher-focused, community-focused, student-based way. 
I'd love to also just ask um, a question popped up for me. What kind of resistance do y'all get when folks hear social justice standards? And do you ever hear a educator or just a stakeholder just say, oh, that I can't do that in math or I can't do that in science? Absolutely. Um, but I think for like the vocal people who are resistant to the term social justice um, or to social justice standards, there are so many more educators and people who want the language, who want to be able to like understand how to navigate social justice spaces, how to be able to implement social justice education in their classrooms. And that's really what like the standards are one of our foundational publications and and they're really rooted in early childhood research. They're developed from scholars, Louise Derman Sparks and Julie Olson Edwards. They wrote a book, Anti-Bias Education for Young Children and Ourselves. And when we were teaching tolerance back in the day, we worked very closely with them to develop these standards, not just... Um, and not just develop these standards, there's 20 anchor standards, five in identity, five in diversity, five in justice, and five in action, like Deisha was kind of explaining before, um, but also to show how they can have different grade level outcomes that are developmentally appropriate for kids in those grades. So we have like a K2 outcome, 3-5 outcome, 6-8 outcome, and 9-12 outcome, which they all go back to those anchor standards, knowing that like that's what we would want to see or hope to see in a just and equitable society. Um, but we also know that there are developmentally appropriate um, milestones, you know, for, for each grade level. So giving language, you know, not introducing the term intersectionality, for example, until like middle grades. Um, once younger children have the understanding of like, oh, I have multiple identities and these identities, you know, can combine to make me who I am, but not, they don't each define me individually, right? And so getting kids um, and young people to really um, work through a lot of those concepts that when they do start interacting with other people who might not share those identities, they're able to have, you know, better conversations, more inclusive conversations, um, and kind of learning to like navigate and point out, like, like Deja said, where they might see injustice, um, and kind of work to take action, uh, you know, to, to fight against it, right. And to, and to try to create justice, um, in whatever capacity that looks like, you know, whatever, um, issue they might be uh, focusing on. Do you update the standards at all? And how often do you update that? Yeah, so really, these 20 anchor standards have been the same um, since we created it. What we have updated, each grade level outcome um, has a scenario associated with it so that an educator or you know caregiver, whoever gets their hands on these, can kind of see what that might look like in, in action. Um, and so we've updated those scenarios most recently to be, you know, more inclusive and, and provide a couple other scenarios that are more relevant to, um, you know, issues in 20, I think we just did it last year, 2023. And we also have the, um, I think, I think of them as complementary, like the critical practices guide for social justice education are like the strategies on how to achieve the standards. So like, I feel like the standards are great, this is my, like Deja said, objective. 
in a developmentally appropriate way with language, like Jackie said. And But then it's like, how do I do that? Like, how do I get myself there? Um, and the critical practices guide for social justice education are divided into the four pillars, um, just like the definition of social justice ed. So curriculum and instruction, family and community engagement, leadership, and culture and climate. And then there's strategies that go through each one of those pillars. And thinking about like if you're a science teacher or a math teacher in the beginning of the year you still need to build a classroom community that falls under culture and climate that's still a tenant of social justice education so there's ways to work through um, even just equity of of thinking routines and how to make space for different learners so to say that like oh i'm science social justice education like doesn't fit into my space is just like not true and it's a and for people who have trouble seeing it i feel like the social justice um the critical practices guide for social justice education does a great job of laying out how you can actually incorporate equitable strategies into every learning environment to add on to that we've had you know our social justice standards one of our workshops one of the strategies that we use is asking essential questions, right? Because you can really ask essential questions through the lens of identity, diversity, justice, and action. And that's really where we see a lot of interdisciplinary um, kind of brainstorming and where it can be implemented. Deisha, I, I don't know if you remember what um, what our educators used at our, at our last workshop, but I know like we've done everything when we do these workshops, like Roman baths was a topic for essential questions. Um, Newton's laws of gravity were a topic for essential questions. Um, and so like there is room to embed these standards um, as well as, you know, other critical practices in your context, regardless of, your discipline or your grade level, right? There's ways to scaffold it. And and I think that's really what the standards do really well is like they are that roadmap, right? They're like, you know, standards can get a little teacher jargony, but like if you think of them more as like a roadmap for your ability to embed social justice into your practice, um, that's kind of like where it starts. And then like Skyla said, building in other critical practices to really like build out your toolkit um, is really what we kind of hope educators walk away with from these resources. Yeah. And Jackie, I was, I was just going to say when it comes to planning, right? Like what I've seen, um, happen with educators is that they add the standards after they've already planned the lesson. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not like a, uh, oh, oh shoot. Like I have to add this thing, right? Like, no, it's not the last thing you think of. It's really the first thing you think of. And so when you're creating a lesson plan, look at the standards already. I mean, just backwards planning, right? Like backwards planning and really looking at those standards to see what works for the specific skills that we're, we're teaching. And so one thing that I would really push for our listeners too, is that when you do get a chance to look at the social justice standards, that you're looking at it um, as a way to plan your lessons and not like a, oh, snap, like I think this one goes with the um, identity one or, oh, wait, this one goes to the leader, you know, whatever it is, but like definitely do it before and not after. We're not an afterthought. <laughs> it's something that I always like to, to say too. Um, okay. Well, those are all great. Um, I know that we'll definitely link in the show notes to social justice standards. So our listeners can just kind of click on it and kind of peruse it and, and, you know, just 
explore it. So I would like to kind of just shift on like, how, how do you address the challenges that's associated with all the things that's happening in 2024, right? Like there are words that teachers can't say. There are, um, you know, families who are very much concerned about what students are learning in classes. And so how do you navigate this? I mean, Jackie also mentioned like there's specific, like there's a focus in the South, right? Like the Southern states, like how do you navigate conversations like that? Being in the South, I have to, I'm going to qualify my statement. I am in Atlanta, right? So I understand the blue bubble that I am in. Um, But I also think that could be a great case for like your social, I mean, your local elections being mattering just as much as the state and national ones, because our local is so open to taking a stand against our state that we do have some more protections being in Atlanta than being in some of the more rural Georgia communities. Um, But with that being said, we are still, the State Department of Education is still our umbrella, our overseer. And it, to me, it's going back to what's best for students and like equipping yourself with the language beforehand and the research to back up what you're doing. So, like, I work in an international baccalaureate school, and the mission statement is, like, being able to be a worldly citizen and knowing how to interact with other people. So if a parent, administrator, community member questions why we're talking about identity and how to interact with others, well, it goes back to our international baccalaureate mission statement. Like, we need, we're being world learners. Um, and I feel like every school has that kind of language somewhere in their mission statement to back it up. Um, and then I think when you truly are, are tied with what you can say and do, getting students just to question the world around them is a great way to help them navigate without jeopardizing yourself or your certification because you're not giving them ideas. You're not indoctrinating. I'm using air quotes um, as I say that because they're coming up with these questions, their ideas on their own, and you're just kind of facilitating that research process. So that's a great way for educators who are working in really restrictive environments to start thinking about how they can actively resist without putting your paycheck on the line. Because I know, like, this is our livelihood. This is how I pay my bills. I'm not trying to lose that. Um, But at the same time, my students, especially in such a diverse city as Atlanta, they need to know how to interact in that city and how to navigate the world around them. And I feel like that's my responsibility as an educator. So, like, the strategies of getting them to question and think for themselves as well as having that um, that like building block of this is, goes back to my mission statement. This goes back to my school's um, like international baccalaureate, whatever your designation is, kind of helps me have like security when I'm teaching. Yeah, I really love that, right? Like 
tying it back into what the school stands for, what the mission, what the values are so that there's lots of conversations happening, right? Like, and, and I always say too, like, I welcome resistance because I know now you're paying attention, <laughs> which is great. So let's pay attention. Let's have conversations. And then also just being receptive to whatever anyone has to say, right? Cause I feel like sometimes when folks have concerns, they just want to be heard. Um, and that's okay, right? Like, that's okay. There's room and, and space for that too. Okay. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about learning for justice and all the good things that it has for us. Hey, listeners, this is Zach dropping in with some learning experiences and announcements for you for this upcoming week. Do you want to connect with other educators of color who are creating a more student-centered learning environment? Join our monthly Shades of Excellence meetup on Monday, February 26th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Are you interested in learning more about the virtual mentorship program? Join us for a 30-minute info session on Wednesday, the 28th at 5 p.m. Eastern. And finally, you can join us for a learner series with Screencastify on Thursday, February 29th, Leap Day, at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're focusing on teachers as creators for our first session together, and all of these will have links and registration details in the show notes. Calling all Los Angeles educators. My name is Avery, your West Coast Partnerships Manager here at MCP. And do we have an exciting opportunity for you. Modern Classrooms Project is thrilled to announce the launch of our second fully funded regional scholarship here in California, the Los Angeles Educator Scholarship. If you've been looking to transform your classroom into an equitable, student-centered space, enroll in our, again, fully funded virtual mentorship program, plus a $500 stipend through MCP's Los Angeles Educator Scholarship. Just go to modernclassrooms.org forward slash Los Angeles to apply today. If you have any questions or want to connect, you can reach me, Avery Belaspas, at avery.belaspas at modernclassrooms.org. That's A, V's and Victor, E-R-Y dot B as in boy, A-L-A-S, B as in boy, A-S, at modernclassrooms.org. We look forward to seeing your application. All right. Now we're back with Jackie, DeAsia, and Skyla. So here at Modern Classrooms, we are trying to disrupt the notion of traditional teaching, right? Like the whole lecturing part where like we're just talking at students. We really want our students to engage in practice and application. Um, and so when we think about, um, you know, with, with pandemic happening, there's a lot of technology, right? That's been in uh, introduced or like, you know, just kind of showed like that tech gap that we had in education. And so how do you see the intersection of technology and education influencing the accessibility of like justice education on a global scale? Like this is a huge question. So like, you don't have to answer, you know, an entirety. There's like not a fix all, but like, how do you, how do you see this moving forward? Like how can we utilize technology to enhance education? Honestly, I would say um, the two things that I'm seeing and that I'm really excited about, one would be the connectivity that's happening and the other would just be the instantaneous access to knowledge that we have, Uh, you know, whether that be the resources that you can get from learning for justice, like a teaching hard history guide where it's giving you concepts and very clear cut phrases to go into or, or if it is. I think of my classroom and asking students, tell me any and everything you know about Black History Month. 
And for someone to say, oh yeah, that reminds me. And then they can Google and find something and they have answers right in front of them. It's not giving them answers to a test. It's really just enhancing our conversation. Wow. You heard, you saw that on TV. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, this was the first, uh, you know, black Olympic gold medalist in the winter Olympics. I wonder who won in the summer, who did this first in the summer. And all of a sudden the entire room is typing and searching, Oh, Miss Smith. And this person did this. And, you know, now they're pulling in all these other facts that before, I would have had to print out a, a paper and present it to you. And we would have went one at a time. And now in a 50 minute period, we've talked about 20 people that we don't necessarily have to box away, but we've already established, you know, something about them. Let's find someone new. You know what I mean? So um, I think even just in these last few days, that's been amazing to see where it's like, I, I don't consider that cheating. You don't remember their name fully, but you know what they did? Google that because that shows me that if if you're having this conversation at home or out in the world, you're going to do that same thing. Oh man, I can't remember their name, but this is what they did. Or I know their name. I, I need to know more about them. And you know, Google, it's going to tell you other people that they're connected to. AI is going to, you know, if you're putting that into a, a, you know, something that builds it out, they've included three others, you know, so it really, it just it expands the access that our kids have the same way that it, you know, us having access to all these quick reference guides and standards and things that in the eighties and nineties, this may have happened at a small, you know, round table discussion, but it wasn't printed materials easily digitally accessible to the world. You know, you think of when we go through the applications for these cohorts, we have seen applications for people who are not in the, you know, uh, in, in the borders of the United States, they are, they're not always from those areas, even at our drop-in, you know, one-off trainings and sessions. So it, it's beautiful to see that as an educator, that we are reaching people in museums, that we are re- reaching people on different continents that want to share this. But on a much smaller scale, just seeing kids get excited, be curious, and instantly seek an answer the way they would a gaming code or whatever else they're doing, uh, you know, with that same energy and excitement. I, I'm so grateful to have technology in the classroom and see it be used in those spaces instead of just to watch a video or to type in an answer to a math problem or, you know, wherever it had taken us previously. Deja, I think that you bring up such a great point of like this power of like the internet and like interconnectivity, connectivity, like maybe it's because I'm middle school. We're like also talking about the responsibility of that. Um, And I think that it's brought up some interesting conversations around like equity and justice, like not just access, but then once you have access, what do you do with that access? And like, how are you using we talk about like using our words for good, but how are we using like the internet and this interconnectivity for good Um, and like respecting other identities, respecting what you find and also being able to call out the misinformation when you see it because media literacy is, it needs to be something that we're infusing with English language arts, with different research skills because I find that students who don't have media literacy are like really, really like primed for believing just almost anything they see. And so we're having class discussions. I'm like, where'd you hear that? TikTok. 
And it's like, and what source did they say? I don't know, but two others reposted it. So it had to be true. And like, just, I think that's a whole nother area of justice, right? Because then we see it on a national scale in our elections. We see it being used to sway different types of media um, for like government and like politics. So I think that like, we need to rethink how we approach using it so it can be this power as well as like using it correctly, if that makes sense. Yes. And I feel like those are all skills that need to be taught, right? Like this was something that I was having a conversation with a school leader about is that every teacher is like, oh, they learned it. You know, they learned it in that grade. I don't have to teach it. And it's like, no, we have to consist, like consistently, constantly remind students how to use technology in the most effective. And like you said, like a good way, right? Like how do we share the information that we're learning, but also how do we analyze That's critical thinking skills here, right? Like anyone can really put whatever they want on the internet. Now, how do we, as like the consumers, right? How do we analyze and, and question what's being put out there in the universe? And so I think the embracing of technology is really important and also having those conversations of like, here also like, quote unquote, the bad ways to use it. Um, and then especially like putting an AI too, right? Like there's a lot of resistance with AI when AI could be used um, efficiently and effectively, right? And at the same time, when we think about AI too, it's like, well, who, um, who like you're thinking about access, right? Like when we think about, oh, AI is gaining, you know, like putting all the inf- information, but where's that information coming from? Are they written by majority white men? You know, so like, again, which voices are missing, and so we get to have access to all of this. We get to question it. We get to, um, and one of the things that I really love with technology that shifted, because I, you know, I, I was in the classroom. I started teaching in 2010. Um, and, you know, technology was there, but it wasn't like the thing that we used all the time. And so there was just kind of a shift of like, I'm no longer the only person that knows <laughs> everything in the classroom. Here's Google that knows a lot more for me. So it's like that acceptance of a, a, as a teacher of knowing that I am not the only person that knows everything. Like, it, and it is okay that I don't know everything. And I think sometimes teachers forget that, that it's like, oh no, but I have to be the one that knows everything, right? And so uh, I really like that shift too. So thank you for sharing that. And, and so, okay, so what is, what do you all hope to see in the future? As an educator, as part of learning for justice, like what do you what do you hope? Because I I love to think about just like our hopes because it makes me so happy that maybe one day. Yeah, I think like my my brain's going in a million different directions because I feel like there's so many connections between a lot of the questions that we've already been talking about and this response where it's just like focusing on the people who do want to see equity in our schools and our communities, focusing on empowering our young people to really keep questioning, asking the questions, um, asking a lot of difficult questions and be able to like equip them with tools, not just like for media literacy, but also like to have civil dialogue, right? And then really engage in in conversations like across lines of difference in a lot of their communities. Um, And I don't know. I think it's really like putting that focus on student learning. You know, I think one of the questions you asked before around like how we're trying to help our educators in the South. And a lot of it is around like, you know, what Skyla mentioned, like making, like having the students come up with the questions, do like 
inquiry design models, you know, a lot of student-centered engagement asking those essential questions, you know, either through the lens of the social justice standards um, or otherwise, and really just getting them to think critically about the world around them. And I think it's my hope that like, maybe the quiet majority will win out in the long run. Um, and just really trying to figure out how we can echo one another in a way that allows um, that majority to be heard in a way that the very vocal minority is being heard right now. Um, and so I guess it's my hope that we empower the young people. It sounds so like, I don't know, cliche, but like really it is just empowering them with, with the tools to, to pave the way for a more equitable future because uh, I, I, it's part of the reason I got into education too, right? That, that, that belief that the young people are our future. And so that's the hope. Mine is so connected to Jackie. So I feel like I'll, I'll jump in. I feel like my hope for learning for justice and education in general, um, in one of the learning for justice magazines, a quote from W E D E B Du Bois said, as the South goes, so goes the nation. And I really hope that learning for justice can bring community to educators to start to win those little battles and that the nation can see that like, this is not going to work here. Um, And that active resistance in the South kind of spreads in a positive way. Um, Since the South seems to be the place where we plant seeds to see if they'll grow both positive and negative. um, I hope that learning for justice and the community that it builds can give power to that, that, that seed and we can plant it in a very positive way. I'm right there along with Skyla and Jackie. Greatest love of all soundtrack, you know, is definitely playing under, you know, all of these inspirational things. But, you know, I really just think that the loudest voice is not always the most correct or the right way. And I feel that because we have taken the methodical each one teach one support who needs it root uh, that sometimes we are not the loudest voice in the room. And so I hope that what is being said, what is being taught just echoes and can cast down some of the other thoughts and other Uh, you know, misconceptions about education and teaching just awareness and truths uh, that are out there and that more teachers are empowered to do it through our resources, through the communities they build. You know, I I really, that's my hope that, you know, it's really each one teach one that, that this can grow into something so much larger and that those who are seeking that community can connect with us, uh, you know, so we can quiet some of the warranted and unwarranted fears, you know, that often get the airwaves and the attention of others so that our students, our children, our communities can benefit from that. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with all of that because all of that sounds amazing. And I, and I want to add in too, like, I, I also hope that pride and ego, that they go away. Because I feel like a lot of the times, a lot of decisions that are being made for our students are because of pride and ego. Um, and I also think shame 
is a lot as well, right? Like, oh, I don't want to admit that I don't know something because, you know, I'm supposed to be this person. Um, and so I think if we can find some way to have conversations about our pride, our ego, and our shame, I think then we will have, we will have quote unquote better conversations, I think, you know? Um, and so, oh man. Yeah, this is such a great conversation. Um, listeners, remember you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org and you can find the show notes for this episode of podcast at modernclassrooms.org slash 178. We'll have this episode's transcript uploaded by Friday, so be sure to check back to access those. Also, we are asking our listeners to leave a review if this podcast has been helpful in supporting you to create a human-centered learning environment through a blended, self-paced, mastery-based model. It does help other folks find it. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday. Skyla, Deja, and and Jackie, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your experiences, and your expertise. I appreciate you all. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.